0: all right well, let's open in a word of uh, prayer and uh and we'll uh we'll jump in lord thanks for today and for our uh, ability to gather to, to study we thank you uh, that uh, that you love us thank you for Tim for our church and lord uh, pray that uh, during this time that uh, that our understanding will grow our eyes would be open and that uh scriptures would be clear in christ amen OK, we are in the book of uh, book of Revelation. And I'm trying to just to book so that you get a general feel of where it's headed Okay, and then we've got to decide if we want to go back through and how much detail do we want to go into? What will happen if we try to go into a bunch of detail? And so I'm going to show you what that might look like today, but if we go into a bunch of detail, it's going to be a bunch of detail. It's either you take the whole hog or you generally go through it. Okay. Um, and it, this is at the end of the story. The book of Revelation is the last book. It's at the end of the story. It's the culmination of everything that has been foretold is going to happen throughout the story. Okay. When did the story begin? At the beginning. Yeah. That's how it works, right? <laughs> When I, when I say that, I think it's hilarious and my students don't find any humor in it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> it's like Johnny, you were talking about last night, one of those profound things you say that's obvious. You know? Stories begin at the beginning, and they go to the end, and the middle part connects the beginning to the end. And, and you say that, and they're going, oh. <laughs> well, but in the but that's but you, you know that when you're thinking about a story, but you don't remember that when you're when you're somewhere in between Genesis and Revelation that somehow these books are are moving the story along. They're they're connecting the uh, you know all of the the points and they're moving the story towards its nation towards its end. So, so that's important to remember. Okay. So I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 12, and we'll just see how far we can go in Revelation. Now remember um, remember uh, what, what the book of Revelation is doing, okay? Before we get to chapter 12, let's quick, quick review. Um, that John is told in uh, chapter one, verse 19, to write the things which you have seen and things which are and the things which will take place after these things the things what he has seen that's verses 1 through 18 okay the, the vision the things which are that's the letter to the two churches or the, the, the letter to the seven churches in two chapters um, and the things which will take place after these things that's four uh chapters four through 22 okay so in chapter four he begins with and after these things I saw. Okay. Everybody good with that, does that make sense? So that's kind of how the, the author uh, John lays out his book in accordance with what he's been told to do. Okay. Now, uh, then from chapter four, all the way through the end of chapter 10, John walks through the 70th week of Daniel. That's what we call it, that's the 70th, we call it week. I, I don't know why they started calling it 70th week. It's the 70th seven it's the last seven-year period, period that is foretold in the book of Daniel, okay? And you've learned a whole lot about this 70th, seven, 70th week, probably translated week, um, as you go throughout the story. Uh, there's a beginning point that's many details are are talked about, the middle part, and then the culmination, the end. Uh, That's all spelled out in in Daniel chapter 9. We'll go back there uh, because chapter 12 is going to go back. 4 through 10. The 70th week. And then the the last verse of chapter 10. Daniel or Daniel. John is told, says, uh, and they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples, many nations, many tongues, and many kings. Okay. so. So he's, now he's going to go back, and he's going to start over. This is going to be a second pass through the 70th week. Okay. Uh, chapter 11 now is going to go back to the beginning of the 70th, seven, and he's going to go through it again. Okay. Um, and then uh, the last time, it's going to be with chapters. Uh, there's, there's three passes through the book. So that, that scroll uh, chart, that's three passes through the book. Uh, you've got uh, in the first pass you've got the uh, uh, the seal judgments in the first half these are the judgments poured out on Israel to get them to do what repent after they repent then what happens all this stuff happens right there at the middle the abomination of desolation the two witnesses and all this stuff's happening and then Israel is pursued into the wilderness by Satan and um, by Antichrist to, to kill them. Okay? And then Christ returns. So, beginning point, the 70th of the week or the 77th begins with a firm covenant. Israel joins in the covenant with the Antichrist. The middle point in the end. Okay? And so, first pass, chapters 4 through chapters 10, the second pass, then uh, 11 through 16, and then you get in chapters uh, 17 and chapter 18. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the woman in the, the harlot, okay? The woman in the harlot, 1718, this is the third pass. Each of these three passes through the story culminates with what? What happens at the end of the 70th week? What marks the end? Christ return, Christ return. So the story takes you up to Christ's return, goes back, takes you up to Christ's return, goes back, takes you up to Christ's return, Goes back and then it and then chapter 19 now is what, Christ return. Okay. So three passes through Christ return. Uh, chapter 20 is the millennial kingdom, thousand year reign of Christ after Christ returns to establish his kingdom on the earth. And then chapters 21 and 22, the new heavens and new earth. Okay, so that's what's going on. more past yeah. so when we get to chapter uh, 12 it says a great sign appeared in okay so we good with that Everybody, we'll say this um, what I've found um, is I when I was going through seminary um, we, we took I don't know how many uh, I guess there's nine Bible courses that we teach so it's nine semesters going through you keep hearing the same thing oh no 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 and then you start teaching it and now for 20 years um almost every year without exception i teach every book of the bible at least once usually twice sometimes three times depends on which which book um after 20 years of teaching it over and over and over and over and over over 20 years i'm starting to get a little okay so so the more times you hear it, it, it sinks in, right? And, and you go, oh, uh, and, and every time you hear it, see what you've got to go as you go through, you have to reorient what you're hearing to actually you know, what the scriptures are talking about rather than what you think they're talking about or what, uh, what you've heard or been told. Does that make sense? This semester I'm teaching gospels, Acts, Paul and Epistles, prophets, and uh, Genesis to Judges. So uh, what I'm not teaching are the historical books uh, in the Old Testament and general epistles, Revelation. I that Um But you hear the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Um, and so we'll just keep repeating it and it'll sink in a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper. It'll make sense while right you hear You walk out the door and you go, I don't remember. That's okay. That's that's normal. Okay. And after you hear it about 10 million times, then it'll get about that deep. Okay. And that's okay. All right. Okay. So let me let me show you the detail of that is involved here. Okay, so in chapter 12, okay, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. Okay, now stop who's this woman well you're supposed to know this already um and turn back to chapter 37 of genesis chapter 37 of genesis this is uh, joseph's dream uh, Joseph has a dream. Um, he tells it to his brothers. His brothers' he- brother hated him. It was the, it was the dream of the cheese, right? Remember this. Uh, and then he has another dream. Verse nine, chapter thirty-seven, verse nine of Genesis. It's eleven o'clock. Uh, now he had another dream, and he related it to his brothers. And he said, "Lo, I have had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me." Okay. In revelation it's the sun and the moon and the 12 stars here's the sun and the moon and the 11 stars why is it sun and the moon and 11 stars here because joseph's the 12th star Joseph, uh, the 12 stars are the 12 sons of of, of jacob so 12 sons of israel the son of the moon the of the father's 12 sons does that make sense okay um and so this imagery of the sun and the moon and the 12 stars in um in The book of Revelation, chapter 12, is using this imagery. Does that make sense to you? Uh, He says, And I saw a woman with the sun uh, and the moon and the 12 stars. Okay. Now, who's the why does he say woman? Okay, so back to, to, to Revelation, chapter 12. I saw a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head were twelve stars. Why is Israel talked about as a woman? This goes all the way back to Genesis. Um, So so let's read on and then I'll circle back around and talk about this woman. And she was with child and she cried out to being in labor and in pain to give birth. Another sign appeared in heaven, behold, the great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns on his head, uh, on his uh, heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them uh, to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male. Why does it say a male? Aren't all sons male? They gave birth to a son, a man, or you may say male child in italics, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. There's an imagery there. Uh, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon and the dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. And there was no place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon who was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole earth, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down to the earth. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, uh, now the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, because of the word of their testimony Uh, for they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time." Okay, there's a lot going on here. Uh, The good news is, John is, this vision that John is seeing, these two signs, Um, And what he says, there's nothing new. This has all been explained several times in the scriptures. I'm teaching prophets this semester. Uh, Most of the prophets, writing prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, uh, they don't say anything new. I mean, very rarely do they say anything new. They repeat that which has already been proclaimed. By a prior prophet uh, to the nation Israel. Does that make sense? Um, So what's going on here? Um, All right. Let's turn. uh, Where do we start? Let's start with the woman. Okay. The woman, the child, and all that. Okay. For some of you, you've heard this over and over and over. That's okay. We're going to go through it again. Okay. Turn back to Genesis chapter three. You remember the story, Genesis chapter three, that God creates the heavens and the earth and the sea and fills the heavens and the earth and the sea. And then he, uh, uh, in chapter one, uh, things multiply according to their kind. So fish produce fish and, you know, chickens produce chickens and dogs produce, you know. Um, and that, uh, and they, they, uh, God, he, they bless them and they multiply, right? Bless them Uh And so they multiply according to their kind. And then there's this dramatic shift that takes place in 126 to 28. After every day, the Lord says says that um, God saw that it was good or it was so, something like that. Then in 126 to 28, let us make man in our image according to our kind. In other words, um, dogs reproduce dogs according to their kind but this is something different. They were not, man was not made to reproduce according to man's kind. Man was not made in the image of man. Man was made in the image of God, and man was to multiply according to God's kind. Now, tell me about God. Well, he's spirit. Are you with me? So in other words, man multiplying according to God's image according to god's kind it's not that man looks like god that's not the point but that man is to what what does image mean image yeah image in kind. image and kind. Yeah. if it's not if the lord's not physical, then how can god then how can man be recreated in his image according to his kind. Yeah. Image bearer, character. You care about what he cares about. Okay, Does that make sense? You're going to see this play out in the story. Okay? Um, pause. Let's think about that for a second. Think about the implications. For that. So let's stop the discussion in Revelation and let's talk about implications of image bear If we asked what is God like what's his character like what would you say well yeah um, Moses asks this of the Lord and the Lord places him in the cleft of the rock and passes by you remember this story in Exodus chapter 34 6 and 7 the Lord the Lord God passionate? Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving, kindness, and truth, yet by no means leave sin unpunished, visiting the iniquity of their fathers onto the sons for the third and even the fourth generation. Uh, third and fourth generation. This is the Lord revealing his character to Exodus in chapter 34, third and fourth generation. So three generations, the Bible's twenty years, four would be uh, so so three generations would be sixty years more would be 80, but it's more than three, but not quite four, 70 years. Does this sound familiar to you? Jeremiah says, all right now, uh, because of the sins of your fathers, the sins of the fathers are gonna be poured out onto Israel for 70 years. What does that look like? They're gonna be kicked out of the land for 70 years, so that they will repent, and if they don't repent, then Leviticus, then he will pour out seven times the judgment upon So even back in Exodus, this is already being, being spelled out, laid out. Okay? But let's go back to the character of God, compassionate, gracious, merciful. Talk to me about mercy. Can you have mercy? Can, can mercy be, be displayed or shown if there is no offense. You with me? How can God, a God who is a gracious and merciful, compassionate, slow to anger about God, demonstrate his compassion, mercy, grace, and slow to angerness without an offense? And how can he show it to his creation so that they would recognize what mercy is therefore show it unless there's an offense. Does that make sense? In other words, the whole uh, process of making image bearers are making ones like God care, care about what he cares about. If this God is a merciful God, then there must be an offense for him to show his mercy. Does that make sense? So God is, so so God didn't just create Adam in his image according to his likeness. He is is in the process of creating mankind in his image according to his likeness. It's got to go down this trail. Does that make sense? Because he's gracious, compassionate, slow, the anger. The fall was a necessity so that humanity would realize the character of God. How much mercy does he give you? Again and, again and again. You don't even have it, you, you don't, you don't even begin to comprehend the extent to which, so uh, so what I tell the students is so like, oh yeah, yeah, mercy, we got it, we got it, we got it. Well, uh, how story works, story, you know, it, it, Lord could have just said, I'm merciful, there you go, right? You go, amen. And what you're going to do is you're going to import into your understanding of God's mercy, what you understand mercy to be. And then you read a story. Wait a second. I wouldn't have forgiven them for that. And the story begins to develop how merciful he is, how compassionate he is, how slow to anger he is, how loyal his love is. Does that make sense? But by no means does he leave so the process of the story is the continuing revelation of the character of god and we get to go along for the ride to understand it are you with me? okay back to the story so um, god creates man in his image according to his likeness uh and assigns them the responsibility to rule over the birds the air the fish the sea the beast the earth, you know. um, places them in the garden chapter two chapter three uh uh, The serpent, uh, the deceiver, comes and he challenges what God said, has God said. Um, You shall not, and you know, and then you get into this evil ministry. Um, And the serpent responds, God's lying to you, for God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Um in the Hebrew it's uh probably to be understood as plural, like God or like gods. You will be like gods, knowers of good and evil. Right. Um in chapter one and chapter two, who's declaring good and evil? God is. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. It's it's good because it's good in his eyes. It's not good because it's good in your eyes, right? doesn't matter what's good and right in your eyes. It is good because it's God's prerogative to declare right and wrong, good and evil, beauty and ugly. Are you with me? Only after the fall, can we say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The reason why we say after the fall, beauty is in the eye of the beholders because that's what fallen humanity claims. I get to determine beauty for myself. I get to determine truth for myself i get to determine what's good and uh, uh for myself i get to determine right and wrong for myself well you don't what's the proof that your vote doesn't count and he died and he died and he died and you go well, i think oh, i don't care what you think well, you die and then the next one goes well i think that i don't care what you think yeah right, all right check. So, you're, you're like- Yes. Yes. Now, um, what you'll find in if you read philosophy, and there's a whole lot of philosophy that is going on in our culture that we're not aware of, okay? Uh, postmodernity. modernity um, this view of what's good for me is not, you know, what's right for me is not right for you. What's good for me, that, that's the fall. All that is, is the fall. Um, our culture is saying all truth is relative. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Now, the problem we have, we're talking about this a little bit last time. the problem we have is we become such an unthinking people. Our critical thinking skills are almost zero now. That is a self-defeating argument on the surface of it. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, that's an absolute statement, genius. <laughs> Well, there's only one absolute truth. There's no other absolute truth. Oh, really? So you get to determine what the absolute truth is for the rest of us, right? Um, and it's not that man wants to be a God among many. Man, I'm not, you know, man wants to be the God. The usurping of the authority, see, uh, this you're not the boss of me. You don't have to teach your little two-year-old that. They learn it right off the bat. Why? Because that little sin nature is in them. It is their it is the to the core that is uh, down. It, it affects man and woman and child. If you're human, you got it. You're not the boss of me. Okay. I want you to think about our American government, the, the tenets of our American government. This comes after this. Uh, so, so we're walk- So we're gonna do church history. I want to plan up, that's okay. Uh, it's important that we understand this because the implications of this are huge. They're absolutely huge. Uh, and so the fall, there is no, uh, you know, that, that man says, you're not the boss of me, right? God knows in the days you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowers of good and evil. And they start to make determination of good and evil for themselves. This is what's going on. And then what man does is creates a God in his own image according to his likeness and worships it. It's romans chapter one now paul's not saying and that it's not so because paul said it in romans chapter one this is what's happened from the beginning they make gods of wood and stone and sticks and frogs and they worship the creation rather than the creator paul's just saying this is what they were doing the whole old testament this is nothing right you create God uh, in your own image according to your likeness you'll hear this in the church i would never worship a god who would fill in the blank Oh, you mean you'd only worship a God who agrees with you? Huh? You've created a God in your image and you worship it, which means you're worshiping yourself. You want proof that you're not God? Let's wait a while. And there's something to think about, nobody around you thinks you're God. <laughs> nobody else is convinced that you're God except for you, right? And so this is what's happening in the fall Now, for God knows that you will surely not die. Remember in chapter 2, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Eat eat the fruit, you will surely not die, says the serpent. And then we've created this category called spiritual death. Because we've got to, we're convinced uh, that God cannot lie. You with me? So he said they would surely die that day. So we've got to come up with some category to justify God's actions because they didn't die that day. Are you with me? Now, go back to this mercy. If I say, if you do this, I'm going to punish you this way. And you do it. And I don't punish you that way. What would you call that? Mercy. God doesn't do what he says he's going to do because he's compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. But by no means does he leave sin unpunished. Are you with me? So does something die that day? Something does die that day. The animal the innocent animal who didn't do anything wrong dies for the guilty as a substitute. This is the beginning of substitutionary atonement, substitutionary covering as a display of God's mercy. Something dies, just not you. And it begins the sacrificial system. Are you with me? And so the Lord then comes onto the scene uh, and he, Explains. He says, hey, Adam, what'd you do? He says, the woman you gave, right? Starts with Adam, the woman, the woman says, the serpent deceived me, I ate. and so he pronounces this judgment on the serpent. This is in chapter 3, verse 15, okay? I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now we're back to this woman discussion, okay? In between your seed and her seed. He will strike you on the head. You will strike him on the heel. Bruise, however you want to do that. Does that make sense? Okay. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Your seed and her seed. He will strike you on the head. You will strike him on the heel. Is the woman going to be on the same side as the servant? No. Why not? I will put enmity, enmity. Give me a different word. Um, It's where we get the word enemies. It's the same word as enemy. Uh, um, uh, We talked about Job last week. This is Job's name. Job's name, oh yeah, Job, comes from this root word, enemy. Who is Job's adversary in the book of Job? Ha-Satan, you know what Ha-Satan means? The adversary. Satan, the adversary, they're on opposite sides. And the seed of the woman is going to be on opposite sides with the seed of the serpent. Okay. Yes, yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. Okay. So, so, see, I will put in between you and the woman, your seed, her seed. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 15. Everybody good? Now verse 16. Let me show you chapter three, uh, verse 16. And if I knew how to turn that on, I would. I bet this remote control has something to do with This is, uh, get a PhD, you can do this. Right. Oh. Oh, Here I am popping oh, off, yeah. talking about how uh, smart I am and I can't oh, get yeah, it, but... probably the big red button that says power, okay. Can yeah, it? yeah, yes, go please. Okay, so uh, is something weak. Yes. Okay, I, I get that. But in um, Ephesians, Revelation, three, in, uh, John's writing to the churches, Yes. I know you're deep that you have a name for life. Yes. I would take that in my thinking before I heard it. Uh, yeah, um, John is going to talk about the, the, the dead, the second death. So that's you yeah. you're alive but you don't have eternal life Okay, so, right. yeah. uh, in the old testament uh, if we search on the word moat or uh, it, the, the root word is uh, moat is how it's uh, how you would say it um it shows up over a thousand times <laughs> i've went through all a thousand of these examples or occurrences of the word death and uh they are every single time uh, physical death. Well, that's uh, physical. Um, all right, Todd, you're gonna have to, like, select, select. select. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. We're getting Now, what you know, okay. man. I can't multitask. This is so sad and I should have done this before class. Okay. So back to death. Okay. So, so, uh, now spiritual, what, what is death? It, it is where the spirit leaves the body. Okay. Uh, the body goes to the ground the spirit goes where either to heaven or hades okay um that's not what I want um so uh so so this is what death means okay then what would life mean eternal life together yes so what does resurrection from the dead mean yeah yeah. See, so so what we've done is we have changed the definitions. Life, life. And, uh, I'm not smart enough to do this. It's not working. Uh, I could drag it over. Try this. Uh, we changed the definitions. Uh, you, uh, if you have been to, uh, you probably grow up thinking eternal life, or was you get to spend eternity in heaven. That sound familiar, Todd? Come work on us. Good luck. To the young guy. <laughs> yeah, and I can. Remember. So uh, you don't. Know, man's end is not spending eternity in heaven. In Revelation, what? What? Talk to me about what are those ones doing who are gathered before the throne? They're asking the question. What's the question? How long until what? Until you vindicate our blood? Till we are back on the earth? Because Adam, man comes from the root word Adama, which means earth, dirt. dirt man, he was ra- raised up of dirt, to low of the dirt, never go back to the dirt. But because of his uh, sin, because of his offense, he's a dead man walking. He's going to go back to the dust of the ground, those right? who sleep in the dust of the ground will be This is the language of the story, and The story is about how eternal life, because everyone's going to die. Death readers, one per person. This is what someone, else, someone else, hey, What about you? What about Lazarus? Lazarus was was raised and even, you know, so he died twice. So we're back to you. Okay? Um, yeah. Good luck. Use the force, which, if not, no. No okay. Can make it without it. okay. Okay. Everybody tracking? Does this making sense? Okay. Uh, and so this story is about how do we solve the problem of death, not spiritual death. A physical death, resurrection from the dead, eternal life. How do you do that? How do you get eternal life? How did they get eternal life? You okay? By believing in the promise of Jesus, believing in the promise that God gave to me, Adam and Eve, concerning Eve. Okay? By believing in the promise of the seed of the woman, the one that will come forth from the woman. In chapter three. I'll just talk to. I'll just talk to it. Chapter three. I lost you. Tell me how you're help. You're helping here. It's almost going to be a bit. It's that's really small now, which is going to be even worse for you. That's okay. That's. What, I can. I can. I made it worse. That's what students do, right? They, they make push. No, no. Uh, that's okay. Um. So Genesis chapter three. Uh, verse 16. This is a journal article that I've, I've, I've been, assigned, I'm supposed to write it way past time to write it. Anyway, um, in your, uh, uh, if you have a King James, your King James will read differently than the New American Standard or whatever. Are you in? 316. Okay. Literally what it says is to the woman he said, right, right after he's speaking to the serpent in 315 and 316 he says, and to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Okay, in sorrow you will bring forth sons. Well, that is not how it's translated in uh in your New American standard or whatever. Your new American standard, your ESV or NIV says something like to, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth and living. Uh anybody have a King James? What's the King James say? I will greatly you multiply your sorrow and your conception. That is what it says in the in the Hebrew. Okay? I will greatly you multiply your sorrow, etzavon, and your conception, harah. In sorrow or grief, you will bring forth, and then, the, then everybody translates that as um, uh, children. In sorrow, you'll bring forth children, thinking that this story is, a, is to explain why women have pain in childbirth. Okay. Unfortunately, or which, whatever, um, that's not the word that's used. Okay. Got it? Uh, the uh, the word that's used is um, sons. In sorrow, you, the man. In sorrow, you will bring forth sons. Let me show this to you. Good. I, I like this better because I want you to see it with your own eyes because it's really easy uh, to for. Uh, uh for people to say oh well do you know uh you know ugaritic no well in the ugaritic text it says how uh, oh. am i supposed to validate that all right okay and to the woman he said i will uh increase right so you see where the translation is down at the bottom i will uh greatly increase this is you know greatly increase your they translate it pain do you see this uh pain now If we did a search for this word pain in the Bible, let me show you where it shows up. Let me just move this over here so we can see this. Okay, 316, 317, 529. Okay, now, uh, in 316, 317, and 529, it is not translated as sorrow. 316 it is translated as pain. 317 it's translated as toil, and 529 it's translated as toil. What about 66? The Lord was sorry that He made uh, man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. That's the word grieved. Okay, um, it's going to show up 34 times in 33 verses. All other times, as we go through this, it is going to be grief. They were grieved. Okay. That's what the word means. It does not mean physical pain. It means grief or sorrow. Why are they translating it differently? Because they have assumed that what's going on here is an explanation of why women have pain in childbirth rather than grief or sorrow in conception. Why would the woman be grieved in her conception? You see? So, um, So uh, what I tell my students is leave it alone. Do not change the definitions. Don't change the meaning to your interpretation. Just leave it, leave it alone and translate it that way, right? Uh, And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. I'll show you places where this shows up. In sorrow, same word, grief, sorrow, you will bring forth, to give birth, you will bring forth, uh, do you see this down here? noun common masculine plural masculine plural how would you translate masculine plural sons not children sons okay in chapter 5 uh adam had ena uh, you know had seth and he lived so and he had sons and daughters other sons and daughters other sons and daughters he knows how to say sons and daughters he knows how to say children. yellow, Dean would be children, brought forth ones. That's not what he says. He says, in sorrow you will bring forth sons. In the next chapter, chapter 4, what does Eve do? Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived, guess what that word is right there, and she uh, brought forth. What she bring forth? Came and Abel. She brought forth uh, and then the rest of the verse, and uh, to your man will be your desire. They translate that husband. Are you with me? This word, each, man. Look at four one. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. Okay. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. There's the word, to conceive. And she brought forth Cain, and she said, I have acquired a man. increasingly these bible translations have used 316 uh, to explain why women are the authority of their husband that's how they translate it your desire will be for your husband but he will rule over you the problem is all of the language of that verse is used all the way through the scripture but the language is used in anticipation of the one who would come and rule the word here for rule is mashal. Okay. Um, Micah five two. Do you know Micah five two? Uh, oh you Bethlehem of Ephrath, are too small among the clans uh, of Israel. From you will come forth a ruler in Israel, a mashal, a ruler. Um, in Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter seven. Uh, this you may know. this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and. <laughs> Then I will hear, uh, you know, we think that's, America. it's not America, it's Israel, okay? Then I will hear their prayers offered from this place. This is the Lord speaking to Solomon. Solomon has ju- just built a temple. What's the this place that he's talking about? The temple, yeah. If you follow me as your father David did, then I will not cut off from you at Ish Mashal, by Israel, a, a ruler in Israel. Your desire will be for your man, Ish, I will not cut off from you an ish. And he will mashal rule. I will uh, not cut off from you a man, a ruler in Israel. And he will mashal baqa, rule with you. This story is looking for the one who, you just lost your rule. You just lost your dominion. You're getting kicked out of the land and you're dead. So where's your hope? In Jesus. Just don't know he's, We don't know that he's actually going to be named Yahweh saves, but that is what his name means. Yahweh saves. For he will save people from their sins. And so this story from here on is looking for the one who's going to come forth from the woman who will die and save. Does that make sense? Now, she thinks it's Cain. She says, I've acquired a man. The Lord, this is it. Is Cain the one? No. And so... Uh, then Cain kills Abel. Abel's replacement is Seth, and the genealogy, you track this genealogy through Seth, through Noah, through uh, the Tower of Babel, all the way to Abram. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and in you, all the families of the earth will bless or with you. exact same thing that he says to the woman. Okay? And he will rule with you, in you, with you, among you. Um, that's the language okay so now abram at this point is going to be made in a great nation the promise given to the woman Eve has been traced through the genealogy and now who holds the promise who's the carrier of the promise abram just a do i server low battery, low battery. Um, uh, is it just Hello, abram? no it's just from the, it's the carrier of the promise. Oh, who else sarah because the promise to abram is a promise to sarah at this point right? and i will make you a great nation so now uh this woman imagery the woman's going to have the kid but now it's not a singular woman is it it will be a singular woman but this singular woman will come out of the nation from here on in the story israel is referred to as a woman the woman who is about to give birth okay and the anticipation of this imagery is that the woman is going to give birth to the christ turn over with me let's see here let me find uh, some good places uh turn over to isaiah chapter 26 isaiah um he is uh, a, a a prophet during uh, the, the reigns of uh, of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah uh, in the, um, yeah, in uh, in Israel in Judah. Okay. He pronounces that Israel is going to be judged. Uh, they're going to be kicked out of the land, but ultimately they're going to be delivered. Before, uh, verse twelve. Then the Lord will establish peace for us. Okay. Um. Uh, uh oh lord verse 13 our god other masters besides you have ruled over us what does that mean remember where we are here israel was kicked out of the land and other uh, other nations other masters have ruled over them that word there is baals. other baals, other gods have ruled over you uh, but through you alone we confess your name the dead will not live the departed spirits will not rise what's he talking about the death, the fall, yeah. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. You have wiped out the remembrance of them. Uh, you have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation, you are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. What land? It's the land of Israel. Let's talk about Israel being destroyed. O Lord, they sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them. They, they placed their faith in you but they could only whisper a prayer. The cha- your chastening was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she rise and cries out uh, in her labor, in pains. Uh, thus, we were uh, before you, Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed in labor. Uh, we, uh, we gave birth, as it were, only to win. We could not accomplish salvation, deliverance, for the land, for the earth, nor the inhabitants of the world born your dead will live your corpses will rise those who lie in the dust of the ground will awake and shout for joy for the dew as the dew of the morning or the dew of the dawn Uh, and the earth will give birth to its departed spirits what are we talking about here resurrection and who's going to be one who's going to be resurrected yeah the believers come my people enter into your rooms and close the doors behind you hide for a little while until indignation runs its course, until the judgment of the Lord runs its course, and then this deliverance is coming. For behold, the Lord is about to come out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Just read through the chapter, breaks. Just keep reading, okay? Isaiah didn't write, chapter, now chapter 27. He didn't write the chapter uh, In that day, in the day when the lord comes forth he will punish leviathan the fleeing serpent uh serpent have you heard this word before yeah the serpent in the garden uh with his fierce and great and mighty sword even leviathan the twisted serpent and he will kill the dragon and where does the dragon live in the sea say satan, uh, satan the serpent's dominion is the sea and so in the book of daniel the obese nations coming out of the sea who's the beast satan uh, these are nations run by Satan, Satan, coming out of Satan's domain, coming to, to rule over the land. Are you looking? This nation is looking for this one who's going to come forth. Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin is pregnant and will bring forth a son, and will call his name God with us. All the language of 316 is all the language of chapter, it, it, it's all the way through this book, okay? Um, So Mary, the Virgin Mary, finally, is the one who brings forth the son who will deliver the nation, and not only the nation, but for the sins of the world. Is that making sense? So the woman, Israel, is about to give birth to a son. And the serpent is waiting uh, for this uh, woman to give birth to a son. Why? So that he may do what? Devour the son. Okay. Do you remember the book of Matthew? Jesus is born. What happens? Herod tries to kill kill the kid. Are you in, with me? Uh, does this surprise you? It shouldn't. Uh, why does Satan want to kill the kid? So that he won't deliver the nation and deliver the yeah, because he knows the scriptures. Yeah, um, yeah. It's amazing that uh, with Satan when he's over there quoting scriptures to Jesus, he he actually has the right passages. He's just not the right timing. He actually does okay quoting scripture better than most Christians I know. They're quoting scripture. i like, right, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, they do. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, it's just making sense to you. Okay, so back to Revelation chapter twelve. Okay. Now I have just brushed slightly on the number of passages that deal with this. Okay. Um, there uh, the, the numbers of passages. Uh, how many passages talk this way um there are 65 books of them all the way up until revelation and every single book talks this way a great sign appeared in heaven the woman israel clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and her head were 12 stars uh, and she was with child and she cried out being in labor uh, and in, in anguish to, the word, uh, to, to give birth and behold the great red dragon giving uh, having set, uh, seven heads and ten horns, that's been explained uh, in the uh, uh, book of, 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 of Daniel. We'll go back. Here. His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Uh, Daniel eight ten uh, Isaiah twenty seven um, stood before the woman that he might devour the woman who was about to give birth, uh, and she gave birth to a son, a male. Do you remember uh, back in uh, chapter three? Your desire will be for your man, and he will rule over you. Chapter 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a, a Cain, and she said, I've acquired a man. Uh, all sons are male. That's not what, uh, she's. she gives birth to the man, the one that's been looked for this whole story, right? Here, she does. In chapter 4, she thinks she has, here, this is the one. Uh, Isaiah, no, it's it's still the, talking about the, this this woman. that's this woman. We were as a woman who was uh, about to give birth. But the story talks about the woman Israel. Okay, let's. Uh, how so much? Uh, yes, it's still referring to uh, Israel. Okay, let's let's do this. Um, this is the problem with doing Revelation, by the way. Okay, because there's so much imagery, uh, so much prior. Language. Um, uh, can y'all, uh, let me, let me shut this off. Thanks, Katie. Um, okay. Um, so God creates Adam and Eve, uh, the woman, okay? And they were one man, one woman, one flesh. Are you with me? 24, Genesis 2.4. One man, one woman, one flesh. Adam dies, he's dead, okay? The hope for this, the new Adam, the last Adam will come forth from the woman. This was the anticipation, The new Adam, the last Adam would come forth from the woman to be the head of the woman uh, to reestablish the rule, one man, one woman, one flesh. To track this story uh, from the woman to Israel, the nation, out of which will come the Christ, the head. One man, one woman, one flesh. What happens through Israel's rejection of Christ in the New Testament? The Gentiles are brought into the promise given to the woman. Just looking familiar to you, right? Uh, and inside of this uh, body, You see where Paul's going? Body, members, head is, uh, the body is what? Church. Uh, The head of the body is Christ. The members of the body are believers, right? And so inside of the body are members and the members have relationships. And so this is a husband and wife inside the body. And the husband and wife inside the body is to reflect this. This is the marriage that matters. You know what I'm and so this whole redemption is heading towards a marriage. So when you talked about the uh, woman was sorry or was grieved and conceived and sorry. Yes. Was that because she recognized it? It's because um, What's gonna happen in the story is uh she, she doesn't produce the Messiah, she produces Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. Let's say that you had two kids, one killed the other. How'd that make you feel? And then and then uh, you know, and, and now in the next chapter, chapter five, you have and he died, 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 and he, died, and he, died and he died. And so even though redemption is going to come through this child, he's gonna die. It's a it's a mixed bag, isn't it? In sorrow you will bring forth sons. Yet even in spite of in sorrow you will bring forth sons, your desire will still be for the man to come. Now what's gonna happen when the man comes? A man of sorrows. He's gonna be put to the death. And so um so this whole story is building up to this okay now and by tracking so far is this making sense now let's go back to the the 70th week the timing of the 70th week okay um in the book of uh daniel daniel look over to daniel chapter 12 verse one what i what i my hesitation for doing this is that I don't want you to feel like, well, I'm never gonna learn this. No, 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 you can learn this. Um, how are you gonna learn it? You read, you read the story. But you've gotta read all parts of the story to put it together, okay? In uh, in, uh, uh, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, you have uh, this, uh, and there was great, There is war in heaven, Michael, verse seven, and his angels waging war against the dragon, okay? okay Uh, revelation chapter 12 michael the great prince who stands guard over his people uh this is daniel chapter 12 verse 1. uh at that time at what time uh well guess what uh daniel 12 follows daniel 11. there you go all right so in daniel chapter 11 uh the uh daniel is walking Israel through the 70th uh, week and it begins in verse 36. Um, uh, You get this this, uh, Greek uh, Empire up until verse 35 and then uh, uh, because it will still, it is still to come at the appointed time. Now we're moving forward to the appointed time. Then the king will do as he pleases. This is now looking into the last. And this is the 70th week of Daniel, the first half 70th week of Daniel, uh, explains this king will, what he will do. And then at that time, so, so the at that time in 12:1, is the mid-trib point, the middle of the 70th week. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over your, uh, the sons of your people will arise. Now, you see that says the great prince, <clears throat> that word is sar. Uh Sarah's name comes from this same root word. What is do you remember what Sarah's name means? Princess. Yeah. The AH at the end of Sar, Sarah that means you know Sar is Prince, Princess. Uh where has this word this shown up before? Back in uh in Joshua, chapters uh chapter five. Joshua chapter five. me find this for you quickly. This is where um, it came about. I'm in 513 of Joshua. It came about when Joshua was by Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Our adversaries. Who's that? That's team Satan. Are you for us or for team Satan? <laughs> and... Uh, and this one's response is neither. I love that. It's not clear whose side you're on yet. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, are you on uh, God's side or are you for the adversary? It turns out they're going to be for the adversary. Right? Uh, neither. Rather, I am the. You see that captain of the uh, the host of the Lord. Uh, that's the word. The Tsar. This is the Tsar. This is Michael the great prince who stands guard over his people. And what you learn as you read the Old Testament stories is that God appointed angels, messengers over the nations, but Israel he kept separate for himself. This is what could of Deuteron. And then in Exodus, Moses, uh, you know, uh, the Lord says, all right, Moses, I'm going to kill every one of them. Moses pleads the case for Israel. And then the, the Lord says to Israel, I'm not going with you, Moses, because if I go with you, I'll kill all of them. My angel will go with you. My angel will lead you in. Now, which angel is this? This is Michael, the great prince who stands guard over his people. He appears here. He leads them into the land. He's the one talking to uh, the book of Judges. This is the great prince, the great uh, captain of the Lord of Hosts. This This is the captain, this is the one. And he's going to protect Israel until Israel repents, believes, then he's going to arise Uh, uh, He's going to, uh, there's going to be war in heaven. He's going to cast Satan to the earth. Satan is going to pursue the woman into the wilderness. Right, this is the abomination of desolation. When Antichrist enters into the temple, then uh, Israel believes, then Satan pursues the woman into the wilderness and Antichrist does as well to kill the woman. Is Is this making sense? make uh, it makes sense. This is the story. So there's a lot of detail. Throughout the whole story, these things have been being told to the reader. When we get to Revelation, this is not where you ought to begin. This is the end. All of the language, all of the imagery, every single phrase, it seems, in the book of Revelation began in Genesis and it has been developed all the way through. The struggle we get when we start to say, well, let's study the book of Revelation, say so we, we don't have to put it yet. Um, when we understand the first 65 books, the 66 makes perfect sense. The Imagery, the language that is used um, throughout the Old Testament story is the same imagery and language used to interpret all of the scriptures, to interpret the gospels, right? Um, to interpret the epistles, to interpret uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, The sea, uh, the the serpent uh, and the sea. Are there any sea stories in the Gospels? Okay, tell me a sea story in the Gospel. Okay, he walks on the sea. What's interesting is... um, When you go find uh, literature outside of the Bible, this body of water, do you remember what the body of water is that he walks on? Sea of Galilee. That's not what any of the non-biblical literature calls it. They never call it the Sea of Galilee. It's the lake of Gethsemane or something like that. It's it's not the sea. Why are the gospel writers talking about this as the sea of Galilee? You will say to uh, this mountain be cast into the sea. Right. Do you remember when Jesus says this? You will say to this mountain be cast into the sea. Let's back up a day. Jesus is walking along with his disciples and he sees a fig tree. Do you remember this? And the fig tree, it was time for the fig tree to be bearing fruit, to have figs on it, but it didn't have figs on it. And so what does he do? He curses the fig tree, and the next day they walk by the fig tree, and the fig tree's dead. Well, what's the imagery of the fig tree in the Old Testament? What does the fig tree represent in the Old Testament? Israel. It's time for Israel to bear fruit. Do they? Why are they not bearing fruit? Because they've rejected Christ. Uh, And so uh, he curses the fig tree, and it is dead. Now, this is a couple chapters after. He's pronounced judgment upon them. Woe to you. Uh, your temple's going to be torn down. The, the Rome, Rome is coming to wipe you out. Now, right? And then he says, if you have enough faith, you who? Who's he talking to? The disciples have enough faith. You will say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. Okay. There's mountain imagery in the Old Testament. What's the mountain imagery? we got to back up. Um, the rock the stone, the rock of Israel. Who is the stone or rock of Israel? Christ is the stone, the rock of Israel. This is established all the way back in Jacob's ladder. Uh, it is uh, in Isaiah, uh, Genesis chapter 49, that the Lord is going to bring forth a shepherd, the stone of Israel, the rock of Israel. He is the one who will save Israel. In Daniel chapter two, do you remember Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's vision? The vision of the statue of the nation. What happens to that statue? What destroys the statue? The rock, the stone. And then what happens to that stone or rock? It grows into a a mountain. Now, let's go back to the gospels. Uh, Israel has rejected their Christ. And so now the disciples are going to take the gospel to to the Gentiles. This stone is going to grow into a mountain. That mountain, the gospel, is going to be taken to the Gentiles. You will say to this mountain, be moved into the sea. And it will, he's not saying that the disciples can move mountains. He's saying that they have been entrusted. They've been entrusted to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Does that make sense? You can't walk on the sea. Peter is going to walk on the sea. Peter, if he has enough faith, we will walk on the sea. Now, what's the sea imagery? Satan's domain. What's Peter going to do in the story? He's going to take the gospel into Satan's domain if he has enough faith. You know, well, that's allegor- that's not allegorical interpretation. It's not allegorical because that's the imagery that's been established in the Old Testament and it runs throughout the whole Old Testament story. Does that make sense? Am I tracking? All right. So this is nothing new but this is what the writer of, uh, of Revelation is doing. He's using the language that's established throughout the whole story, consistent throughout the whole story, and the reader's supposed to understand it. Does that make sense? So, um, so the extent to which we understand the Old Testament is the extent to which we can begin to understand the New. The reason I started, uh, I did an Old Testament PhD because I was teaching New Testament, I realized I didn't know what I was talking about. I was teaching at the college of biblical studies, I was teaching gospels. I'm going, I have no idea what Jesus is saying. I do recognize <laughs> that everything Jesus is saying is coming out of the Old Testament. All of his words, all of his works. It's everything that he's saying, everything he's doing, it, it's, it comes out of the old testament. I just don't know how. I need to go back and learn the old testament. With you with me? So, um, myriads of questions will come to your mind. In the same way that if you picked up a novel and read the last chapter, you'd have a lot of questions. Well, what? well, well who's this guy and what's he doing? Why is he doing this? Well, um, the best way to solve your understanding or fix your understanding of the last chapter of the novel would be to go back to the first chapter and read it. <laughs> <Commentary>. <laughs> yeah, read a commentary. Oh, no, yeah. the Of the 97 views of what's going on. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so I want to give you the general... Uh, what I don't want to do is say, well, this means this, this means this. I want to give you the tools so that you can go back into Scripture and, and not just turn on the light switch in this one passage in Revelation. Well, wait a second. I see all of this this is what's going on throughout the scriptures that make sense there's going to be some a lot of thought a lot of reprogramming or a lot of orienting your thinking around imagery how the story works in the bible and then what jesus says in the gospels makes perfect sense went, oh of course that's what he means right because everything he's saying he just quotes Old Testament scriptures. He's quoting Old Testament passages. Uh, Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. Guess where that parable is coming from? Old Testament. Every single parable he tells comes right out of the Old Testament. Every miracle he does, every story he tells, uh, every sermon he preaches is Old Testament. It's foreign to us because we don't know the Old Testament. So we make it about stuff that we like. Does it make, track, does that makes everybody tracking. That makes sense. I don't know if I helped or did a lot of damage there, um, but if but both. <laughs> but if we want to go verse by verse through Revelation, you see, it will take us a lifetime. We we'll say, okay, well, let's uh, start with verse one. Turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, <laughs> <laughs> right? and we will do this forever. Okay. So I want to give you the general. This is where it ends. This is how it goes. Give you some detail. To encourage you to go back, not overwhelm you or discourage you. Say, "Go! Oh, I'll never learn." But I've been doing this for twenty. Years. I still, I'm still like a rookie over here, trying to make sense of it. But the more that I read earlier, the more that uh, I realize what's going on later. One of the things that, the, the, one of the biggest blessings that that happened in my, uh, in my, learning the Bible, at Dallas Seminary was ETS was four hours away. And so I would get in the car in the morning. I would drive for four hours. And while I was driving, I would listen to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'd listen to the story. I, I remember listening to Deuteronomy. And I'm going, no way. That's in there? That's what Jesus was talking about. See, I knew the Jesus stories. I didn't know what he was talking about. You know? Four hours up, four hours back, three days a week for three and a half years. And I'm still doing it. So when I get in the car and turn it on. Now listen, I'll go. That's what it is. And then the students go, "Wow, he's so smart." They know "No, he's just pay attention. He just, he just, just listen to what it's said." Right. And so do that. You know, if you've got three times, let it play. Just, just let it play in your house, rather than Fox News or CNN or whatever. Just let the Bible run. It's amazing what you'll learn. Amazingly. Mm-hmm. And then you can have a PhD in Bible. <laughs> Good, Lord. Thanks for our time, Lord. There's a lot uh, that you have revealed through your through your prophets, through your apostles, for us to know. Lord, we could study for a lifetime, and many have, and still not scratch the surface. But uh, but, Lord, our desire is to know you through your word, to understand. Uh, the greatness of your plan, uh, the, the, the extent of your sovereignty. Nothing's happening that you're not fully aware of, that has not passed through your hand. So we can take great comfort in that. Knowing that even if disaster strikes us today, you hold eternity in your hands we'll say, Lord, encourage us in that. Give us the strength for the day. Thank you for your son who loved us. He laid down his life for us. What's in his name? Amen.